This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Keith McPherson, author of Making Sense of Mindfulness, Five Principles to Integrate Mindfulness Practice into Your Daily Life. Mindfulness has become a major buzzword in culture today, and yet very few people understand what this world actually means and how to integrate this practice into their daily lives. In a world filled with noise and distractions, including cell phones, millions of advertisements, and increasing pressure to do more, be more, get more, and make more, it is no wonder there is an alarming increase of anxiety and depression cases reported. In Making Sense of Mindfulness, Keith McPherson offers an accessible, solid, five-step framework that demystifies the buzzword mindfulness and offers a legitimate formula to help combat the high stress levels and anxieties that plague daily life. Come back into balance as you discover the tools and techniques to successfully integrate and sustain a daily practice of mindfulness in your life. It's time to discover how to live your best life. Keith McPherson is a mindfulness life coach and motivational speaker who's been inspiring audiences for more than 20 years. Known for his popular daily intentions on social media and his regular column, Keith's Corner, in several corporate wellness magazines, Keith inspires thousands of people daily with his messages of mindfulness. Born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, Keith has spent much of his life traveling the world as a professional musician with his band, Keith and Renee. In 2006, he was a top finalist on the hit television series, Canadian Idol, and has since released a solo album titled Shine. Aside from music, Keith also is a certified yoga instructor. His instructional videos and live yoga DVD releases have become increasingly popular along with his live classes across North America. Keith has developed his mindfulness practice amidst the busyness that comes with a career of speaking and performing around the world in markets including the United States, Canada, Mexico, Europe, Dubai, and Africa. For more information, you can visit his website at www.keithmcpherson.ca. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Spiritual Practice and Mindfulness, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Elizabeth Cronin, a host of the channel, and today I'm speaking with Keith McPherson, author of Making Sense of Mindfulness, Five Principles to Integrate Mindfulness Practice into Your Daily Life. Thanks for being here, Keith. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm honored to be here. So excited to talk to you today, and I'm wondering if you would start us out by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in mindfulness. Sure. Well, I uh, right now I'm a, a mindfulness leadership coach and author, of course, and speak all over the world on the topic of mindfulness. 
Um, but if you would have asked me, you know, even 10 years ago, I would have said, I'm going to be doing what? But, um, you know, when I think back to my earliest memory of, of mindfulness practice, what got me into this, it was quite unexpected. I was, um, I was in the seventh grade. I was failing French class in grade seven here in Canada where I live. And uh, I went to my teacher at the end of the school day in tears. And I said, is there anything that I could do to get my grade up in French? And my teacher was kind enough to let me do an extra assignment at home. So I went home that night and my mom had this guitar laying around at our house. And I remember picking it up and learning a few chords here and there. And that particular night, I had this um, idea that I would translate an old Bob Dylan song into French. So I translated um, Blowing in the Wind into Souffle dans le vent. And uh, back in the 80s, I recorded this on a cassette tape, if you remember those from the 80s. And I handed in the, uh, the project to my teacher, and I ended up getting an A-plus on the assignment, which got my grade up in French to a D-minus. And um, <laughs> my teacher came back and said, do you want to sing this song in front of the school? And I said, absolutely not. That's the last thing I want to do in the, the seventh grade. But um, something finally came over me to, to agree to do it. And uh, there I was in front of my whole school in a school assembly. And I started playing my song. And as I was playing the song, my worst nightmare started coming true before my eyes. I looked out and I could see all my friends in the seventh grade laughing at me. And before too long, the whole school just broke out into laughter. And as that was happening, this very loud voice came up in my head that only I could hear. And it was just yelling internally at me, run for the hills, like you were totally failing. This was the worst thing you could ever agree to. And as the, all that noise was happening in my head, I also, for just a split second, had this moment where I remembered that I just learned the chords to a children's song called The Cat Came Back. And so I started playing The Cat Came Back, and all of a sudden, it was like magic happened in the school gym, and everybody started singing along with the song. And I remember looking out and seeing that and thinking, I could do this for the rest of my life. And I think back to that moment, <laughs> Because I think it's the first time, although I wasn't aware of it at the time, that I was actually practicing mindfulness, <laughs> you know, for two reasons. I, you know, I've spent a lot of my life touring the world as a musician as well. And um, music is this universal language that brings people together. And when we're all singing together and we're connecting, you know, all these things that tend to separate us in our busy minds, you know, race and culture and identity, you know, you, you put a good song on and it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or your backstory. It just connects us. So this idea of being connected is, is really, to me, the foundation of mindfulness practice. And um, I'd have to say also, too, in that moment in the seventh grade, as I had that very loud voice in my head just screaming at me, and then this little whisper-like intuition that's play the cat came back. You know, it's like in every single moment as we're going through our life, we have this opportunity to discern between these two places you know that of fear or in my book i call it the saboteur mind that's constantly telling us we're not doing enough and we're failing and it's not going to go well and, and that voice of love that voice of intuition and, and every moment mindfulness offers us the practice to to pay attention in this moment to you know which voice am i feeding which voice am i acting on so um i mean that was an early start I've had many influences and teachers along the way into this practice. I'd name one of them as Dr. Wayne Dyer. I think he was 
the first one that got me very conscious about mindfulness practice and uh, just a real mentor of mine over the years. So yeah, that's how I got into this. You mentioned in the book the influence of sort of the Hawaiian influence. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, well, I've been studying and uh, practicing uh, a form of Hawaiian healing called hunakane for a large portion of my life as well. Um, early on, I think I was just in my late teens, I um, came across a teacher who actually happens to live now in, in Canada where I'm from, but has studied her whole life. She's in her 70s now um, with uh, Serge Kahili King, who's, uh, I guess, considered worked with the Kahunas, is from the Kahili King family in Hawaii. And um, so anyways, long story short, I, I ran into, uh, by a chance, this teacher early on in my, my teens and um, just started getting interested in, in the Hawaiian healing uh, forms of hunakane, they call it. And I've just found over time, especially now the state of the world, uh, this, this practice of um, hunakane, they call it, I call it mindfulness, essentially, is uh, just so needed right now in the world. Um, the Hawaiians just had a system of healing that's so incredible. So I really integrate that into my perspective of mindfulness, which I think is interesting because, you know, a lot of people um, come from the background of the Zen Buddhist approach to mindfulness. And I, you know, I, I think we get really caught up in the, the words and the, you know, the dogma of what, where it originated from. But I think um, the practice of presence the practice of loving kindness, the practice of, um, you know, connecting to whatever you want to name the source energy. These are all forms of, of mindfulness. So whether it came from Hawaii or <laughs> a Tibetan temple, it's, uh, it's all connected to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I like that you bring up the healing aspect because I think the story you just shared from seventh grade, you were still young enough that you could hear that whispering voice. I think sometimes by the time we get into our adulthood, we can't hear it anymore. And that's part of the healing process is, you know, getting beyond our wounds so that we can get back to that place where we can hear the whispers and the, you know, the, the dreams that I think we, we get used to letting go of. Um, so, so sort of a healing, but also a reconnection. So I don't know if you want it talk a little bit about that because your story about singing to everybody and thinking, Oh, I could do this is sort of for a lot of people like, Oh, wow, that's such a dream. You <laughs> encourage people in the book, you encourage people to touch base with themselves and see what kind of dreams they do have. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's um, in the book, I, I talk about five key principles to really integrating mindfulness. And that to me is, the first principle, which is everything begins as an inner dream. If you just consider that, it's quite powerful to be with the idea that everything begins as an inner dream. Even right now, as you're listening to this, or we're having this conversation, as you just look around in the space you're in, I mean, anything that you focus your attention on was only once imagined in the imagination. You know, someone had to go into their mind to create the concept of a podcast or the chair we sit on or, you know, the, the device we pull out of our pocket and live stream somebody in another part of the country live. It's incredible. Um, our, our thoughts and our imagination are constantly creating. And it's really 
um, the origin. Everything begins in this inner dream state. Um, when I think of the word imagine, if I slow it down, image in, imagine, you know, the, word, the thoughts that are taking place in that image in and the images that we're thinking about internally are so powerful. Um, it's been said in the research of this that we think up to 60,000 thoughts a day and 80% of those thoughts tend to be repetitive, meaning we're thinking the same thing in our imagination every single day. And as you were referencing too, I mean, just the adult mind is so conditioned, you know, by the time we, we reach our, our late 20s, we are just constantly programmed to be thinking the same thoughts. And so many of those thoughts tend to be chronically negative where we're, we're up in our minds, in our imaginations, beating ourselves up, literally. And so um, just to become aware of, you know, what is going on in my mind as I'm moving through the day? Are, as Louise Hay used to say, she used to say, are, are your thoughts building you up or are your thoughts beating you up on, on a moment-to-moment basis? And uh, it's, I think of it often as like going into a garden and just pulling out the weeds, the, the thoughts that are not serving me, um, changing my mindset. And it's easy to talk about. It's, it's another thing to start practicing this. But, you know, the, the idea that it all originates within this inner dream state. And so the thoughts that we're thinking about over time start showing up in the world around us. And it becomes so powerful, you know, just based on one thought, we start creating um, and it gets deep in, in the book into how we get into the unconscious mind and how that all works. But it's just so incredible to think that just one thought starts shaping my reality. Um, back to Hawaii for a minute. They, they believed that the beginning of the day happened as the sun was setting at night. The Hawaiians called that the morning as the sun is going down on the horizon. So opposite of uh, how we see it. But this idea of as the sun goes down, and we go into darkness, we go inward, uh, we go into dream time where all things begin. So the analogy of just the sun setting and going into this place of dreaming, you know, whether you're sleeping at night or whether you're in a daydream in the middle of the day, whenever we go into that imaginative state, this is where we're doing, this is where we're creating, this is where all things begin. So as the sun would come up on the horizon, you know, they would call that the afternoon of the day because as the sun comes up and starts lighting up the world everything we've been dreaming about internally in our imagination starts showing up around us so it's you know be be aware of what you're thinking about and what you're dreaming about and what you're feeling about i might add as well because it's uh it, we are creating reality um whether we we like it or not <laughs> so it's quite a powerful principle that's just a little bit of it yeah so going back to your seventh grade experience then, after you played that song and you had that connection to that inner voice within you, did you then keep dreaming of being a performer? And did you combine that with music lessons or other oh, things? <laughs> well, I was pretty young and determined after having that reaction from my school, you know, that full reversal of what was going on and just having all the accolades from my friends. So I ended up um, songwriting really early on. I just I channel songs. They just come in, and it was a way to express my feelings and to just. It was such a great outlet music, and uh, I mean, one thing led to the next. I I really do believe that everything is happening perfectly on time. So when I look back now, I realize, you know, although I wasn't consciously aware, you know, the right people were showing up. 
as I made the decision, you know, I want to play music. I want to share um, my passion in the world this way. You know, I ended up um, making friends with someone who became my bandmate for a number of years. We were called Keith and Renee. So Renee and I traveled all over the world and um, just amazing too, being on the road as a musician, how many incredible things start happening when you just open yourself up to the present moment. Um, you know, we, we had experiences where we would, um, we actually flew to Africa once, which was amazing and ended up doing volunteer work and sharing songs and stories there. And then from that trip, going to Dubai and playing for some of the wealthiest people in the world I've ever met and just really incredible experiences. I, uh, I think back to one in particular, I was um, towards the end of my official music career and uh, I went out for an audition for the reality show Canadian Idol which was kind of interesting, <laughs> to say the least. And I ended up making it into the, uh, the top 22 on the show and uh, then all the way down to the top 10. And it was actually a pivotal moment for me. You know, and I just say everything is happening perfectly on time. This was a perfectly on time moment for me. I, uh, I showed up to this audition and I just kept advancing in the show. And uh, I had, I'd say, two of the most profound um, moments where I realized, oh, this is also about mindfulness. It was kind of a transitional time for me. Um, first of all, when I got to the studio in Toronto, they gave me tickets to hand out to my friends and family to come watch a taping of the show live. And all my relatives live in Winnipeg, where I'm from. So I, I didn't know who to give these free tickets to for the show. So I went out on the street and met people and just handed out tickets. And the next thing I knew, I'm watching the rerun of the show and there I was on national TV singing. And all of a sudden, the camera panned over to this group of strangers I gave tickets to on the street. And the caption came up, Keith's friends and family, right? <laughs> I think my mom's calling going, who are these people? But the truth is, when I think about it, you know, we're all connected. So it comes back to that foundational theme of just everything is connected in the moment. You know? I also learned how to breathe on that show. I had one of the most amazing vocal coaches, Deborah Bird, who... I spent time with each week on the show and I remember the first time I went in to rehearse with her, I was so nervous. That loud voice in my head, which I don't think ever goes away. It's part of the amygdala brain, you know, that's trying to protect us from failing or fear or being attacked by a lion in ancient times. Um, my amygdala was just firing and uh, I went into this rehearsal and Deb <laughs> just paused me in the middle of the song and she said, just pause, just take a breath, just breathe. And we took a few breaths together. And then she said, now sing. And I have to say, the power of breathing really embodied in that moment for me, just how powerful it is to just take a breath before, before speaking or before singing. And it allows us to drop out of our head into our heart. So we emotionally start feeling connected, not just linear thinking. It's such a profound practice. All of these things are just happening so perfectly on time. There's, um, there's a saying in Hawaii, an ancient greeting in Hawaii, ika ponomea, ika ponomea. And uh, loosely translated into English, ika ponomea means everything is happening perfectly on time. So when people would greet each other in ancient Hawaii and say, ika ponomea, it would mean, you know, we're meeting perfectly on time right now. You know, Elizabeth, you have things to share with me. I have things to share with you. Everything is so inherently connected. 
And I mean, being a musician all the way from grade seven, you know, up to, to now and, and all that's transpired in my life, I, I really attribute it to uh, Ikaponomea, that principle too, of just all things are truly connected and perfectly on time. Um, someone might be rolling their eyes right now going, well, it's not all perfectly on time. You know, I was late for work today or, you know, I'm having a tough time in my relationships. But what I've come to find is even those moments of struggle, like where I'm challenged the most, you know, I think about even right now with the, the pandemic that we're currently in and just all of the ever-changing complexity of the world. Um, it's actually all ikaponomea from this, this perspective that have you ever noticed, like the most challenging times in our lives have the most to teach us. And although it's painful in the present moment as we're going through it, you look back objectively and you realize, you know, if it hadn't happened that way, I wouldn't have learned the lesson. I think about, you know, uh, the woman that cheated on me three times. It was so not ikaponome at the time. But I look back now and I think that was one of my greatest teachers who, who taught me how to actually love myself and not tolerate a, a relationship of a chronic cheater, you know. And you just I think about that too. Just There's every single moment we're being given what we need. I could go on and on about this part. I'm just a big believer of ikaponomea. Well, even even with the story you started with, that failing French class actually came came along and led to the discovery that you enjoyed performing, you know, and that you could play a song or sing a song and and have that kind of experience. Yeah. It's, I think it's on everyone's minds with the pandemic and, and with all the racial tension in the United States. And in some ways, you know, I agree. I think it's calling attention to something that really has to be looked at. And even if it's painful, it's got to lead to something better. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I was listening to an interview with another recent mentor of mine, Bruce Lipton, who I really appreciate his work. He gets more into the, uh, the science that he calls biology of belief is his book. And it's, um, but he was just talking about how it's like the world is going through a, a new birth. Um, you know, this is like a birthing process, this pandemic and his perspective really resonated with me. This idea that, you know, birth is not necessarily, um, easy. <laughs> I, I should, I'm, I'm a man. I can't really speak for that, but I, I can only imagine how painful it is to give birth and just also how messy it is. You know, there's, it's painful and it's messy. And he was talking about even the blood of birth. And, you know, we see just all that's going on in the world right now. And, you know, it really could symbolize uh, birth being given. And he was talking about, you know, on the other side of giving birth, you have this beautiful new baby and the serotonin in your brain starts flowing. And it's just all the pain that you'd gone through. You come out the other side and there's beauty. And you, there's, there's just, you're in awe. And so I, I am a believer that, um, you know, I'm not trying to downplay the pain we're in right now. I think it's a very painful time in our world. And I just, when I be with it, my heart cries because it's, it is really hard to be uh, witnessing and being part of the collective pain. But I also do believe from sort of a, a bird's eye view of this that we are being birthed into, into a new form and into a, a beautiful place. And I, I think that through the pain of what's going on, we're going to come out and 
look at it and realize that actually was on time, whether it was we needed to take a big pause from all of our busy rushing and trying to get somewhere, or whether it was, you know, we need to pause and start accepting each other and, and seeing beyond uh, color and race and all of the things that tend to separate us. So I do believe that for sure. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, definitely. I do too. I think a tricky thing is, is that the role that, you know, our inner dreams play in bringing about new beginnings and new possibilities. And I feel like, well, you did a nice job in the book of grounding these ideas in a practical way with your five principles. And I think that helps people though, because this can feel very abstract and almost like magical or something. And I think we're discouraged from dreaming. I mean, even in school, kids are told, you know, don't be daydreaming, stay focused and stay focused on what, what we want you to focus on. Right. Yeah. We're so prescribed from the, the outer world, sort of a uh, yeah, prescribed conditional mindset of, you know, you need to think this way and you need to act this way. And so we, we do get cut off from our creativity. I find it's very easy to do in this culture. And yet right now we're just so being called to go into our imaginative state and go to a good place. I've, um, I've noticed in the last year in particular, just uh, being a, a coach, a mindfulness coach, um, how encouraging it is. I've been called into several corporations as of late to just lead mindfulness sessions for their teams. And, you know, the benefits of just taking a half hour out of your busy day to pause from all the doing and to slow down enough that you get present in this moment, you know, and then to, to connect to that place of intuition, what we're finding is that, you know, just to take those moments as you're moving through the day to check in and to learn how to check in um, creates a, a state of just more effectiveness, especially in leadership positions too, we're finding. You know, I, I do a lot of work with a company called the Leadership Circle, where we, um, we do 360 assessments. We have people literally assess their leadership. And what we're finding is 80% of the people that have gone through the leadership circle um, tend to be operating as they move through their day in, in a state of reactive leadership, meaning they're just reacting to the outside world and all of the fear and, and like literally just coping with what's coming at them. You know, and there's so many different ways we do that, whether we clamp down and become perfectionists or we move into this place of complying and people pleasers where we don't dare say no, we just say yes all the time, you know, or people that tend to be uh, protecting where they just, they, they're almost aloof. They have to always have the answer or else they're very critical. You know, most people in, in, in our world tend to be in this state of reactivity. But what I love is that as we start integrating mindfulness practice into our lives, which is very simple, you know, present moment energy, practicing and cultivating kindness to yourself and others, learning how to develop a relationship with those little whispers that I 
mentioned that I had in grade seven. We all have them if we listen. Um, what ends up happening is we move out of that state of reactivity and we move into this place of more creative leadership where we are self-authoring and we're, we're navigating into the world from a place of um, awareness and consciousness. And the world no longer has us where we're prescribing to, you know, the fear or the way that we should be. We're, we're trusting our own inner voice and our own inner authority. And we're living from a place of more, I would say, courageous authenticity. That's really the invitation. And so, you know, I'm seeing so many of the benefits firsthand as I'm being with people in mindfulness sessions, benefits for myself and others where we're, we're able to access a place of more inner peace and calmness and clarity and less stress and anxiety. I mean, who doesn't want that, <laughs> especially these days? So, um, yeah, so much to, to consider with that piece. And I listened to you say it's sort of simple or I don't know if you said simple or easy. Yeah. And it kind of is. And yet, you know, there's all these ways that we get sidetracked or distracted from trying to go this direction. You know, in, in the, the Buddhist teachings talk about the hindrances and things like that, that we all experience. Yeah. And it, it seems like you have to, my experience is people need to sort of expose themselves to this, these ideas repeatedly and somewhere along the way, something kind of connects for them and it, then it can suddenly seem simple. But for a long time, there's a little bit of a confusion or I don't, I don't know how you would describe it, but does that make sense to you and your experience? Absolutely. I think repetition is one of the number one ways to um, integrate a new pattern into our consciousness. And, you know, we, we spend so much time in the part of us called the conscious mind, the thinking mind. But there's this other aspect to us called the unconscious mind. And when we start realizing um, the attributes of the unconscious mind, one of the major things is repetition. You know, your unconscious mind is the part of you that holds all of your memory. You know, it's the part of you that runs the body. If you think about your body, it's, it's just memory. You know, there's a part of you that's unconsciously remembering to grow your fingernails and your hair. I mean, it's incredible that we don't have to consciously think about this. Um, it's this part of you that is host to all of your feelings and emotions. Um, there's so many attributes to the unconscious mind. It's, I think of it also, it's like a little child. It's the little kid part of us that loves pleasure and play. And it, it wants to help us. And it, it works with um, the part of us that's the most creative part of ourself. And so when we talk about intuition, you know, I think that comes from the unconscious mind. So when we talk about wanting to remember something, um, the more we re repeat it and the more we find patterns and ways to integrate it with pleasure and play, the unconscious starts remembering this. Uh, you know, I think about a great analogy of this is when you hear a song on the radio over and over again, and it's very catchy and it's kind of fun. And then you can't get it out of your head. You know, you're brushing your teeth later in the day and you're like, why is that song in my head? It's, it's integrated into your unconscious because it's been repeated so many times over and over again. So the same invitation is there with a practice of mindfulness, you know, to get excited and curious about, wow, maybe there is another way of being on the planet besides being stuck in this place of fear and longing for something more. It's like, why not tune into the present moment? And there's so many ways to practice this, um, you know, just some simple ways. And 
what we find is with repetition, with, you know, whether you need to literally, if you're very linear, schedule it into your schedule. I'm going to, I'm going to practice mindfulness or, you know, just little reminders around your house or your office, you know, mindful, be mindful, positive quotes that are going to integrate this. Um, it starts getting into the unconscious we find. And then, you know, we start finding new neurological pathways in the brain start forming as well. And it's incredible when you get into the science side of what happens when we start learning new patterns. So, you know, one of the most simple ways I find to begin mindfulness um, can happen as you're moving through the day. You know, when I was interviewing people for the book and asking them, what does mindfulness mean to you? <laughs> so many people said, isn't that that practice where you sit around and taste raisins? Like, why would I ever do that? You know, or someone else said, isn't that that practice where you like sit on a cushion and do nothing? Like, I don't have time to do nothing. But um, someone else said mindfulness. I check that off every day on my to-do list. But what I've come to find is it's like mindfulness isn't necessarily about uh, another to-do list item. It's more so about noticing and how am I being as I'm moving through the day? How am I showing up? You know, there is a formal practice and that practice is the invitation to get present to this moment so that you can just notice without judgment, how am I being while I'm doing everything that I'm doing? So there's kind of a formal and informal way to practice, but you know, bottom line, this is uh, really just the invitation to, to slow down and to, um, to start becoming more aware of who you are below the surface of your uh, busy program mind that's constantly racing, you know, and just to give ourselves permission to get present. I think one of the best definitions of mindfulness I've ever heard was from a, a children's author named Susan Kaiser Greenland. And she says, mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment with kindness to yourself, other people, and the world around you. Right? It sounds very simple, but you just think about how often we're not present. Where you know this this old story and belief that we've adopted of there's not enough time. You know, just that alone. I um I was hearing Robert Holden. If you haven't heard of him, he's an incredible coach as well. And I hear Robert talk about this a lot. He says, you know, time. It's like um this whole construct of there's not enough time. Where did this all start? This started when someone was taking a shower one morning and they noticed that they had a shampoo bottle and a bottle of shampoo conditioner. And they looked at the two bottles and they said, I don't have enough time. Like we need to make a two in one because I don't have time to use both bottles. And all of a sudden you go to the grocery store <laughs> and everything is packaged on the go marketing, you know, from on the go lunches to we drive, you got to go through the drive through because we don't have time to actually stop. We have to get somewhere. And this culture of on the go, we're always going. When do we actually take the moment and realize, you know, now is the moment of power. So often it's like, we don't even know where we're going. We just know that once this gets done, then I'll get there. <laughs> but we never really end up getting there. So the, this is really interesting to me, you know, to mindful, mindfully come back and realize now is the moment of power this present moment. And how do we connect to the present moment? The power of just one single breath is a great way to start. There's a, a practice that recently came to me called the slow down breath, where it's so simple. You think of the words slow down and how often we tell ourselves, you know, I need to slow down, but we don't really honor it. This breath to integrate and embody slow down. 
You know, it's just, you take a long breath in and you think the word slow, like a slow breath coming in. And then you think the word down as you breathe out and you think about dropping down out of your busy mind into this moment, right? Slow breath in, the drop down into this moment. A breath or maybe three of those, you know, before you go into a meeting or before you have a conversation, it can just, or in the moments when you're feeling very anxious, you know, or at night when your wheels are spinning and you're out of control overthinking, try a slow down breath. Try a few of them. And just that alone is, is that invitation to get present in the moment. When we start getting present in the moment. That's, that's the entryway into this. And then <clears throat> over time, you start learning how to um, connect to kindness. I mean, and you realize what's going on in this moment, Elizabeth. Like, isn't it amazing? Like the, the miracle of just everything that's happening right now to allow us to be conscious in this moment. From I just look out my window and I see, you know, a couple of deer walking by, or I see the trees in bloom, or everything around us is speaking and alive and aware. And we're paying attention in the moment. It's just you can't help but start moving into a state of heartful gratitude. And that gets contagious. That ripples out and, and affects everything and everyone around us. So, yeah, that's a lot. I'm saying a lot here. <laughs> important, though, really important, because I think what you're bringing up is that our tendency to lose track of what we're paying attention to and then think that the answers, if we want um, our life to, to be better, we have to work harder you know, if we want to have more time to do the things we want to, we have to work harder now, harder and longer. We just get caught up in, uh, I think, all these all these beliefs. Um, so I think that's important that you talk about the, the beliefs that we have. And I, I also think it's important you talk about habits, too, because what you're talking about, I, I'm listening to you and you sound like you you really know what you're doing because you can easily identify, oh, I should take a couple of deep breaths right now. And how do people get to the point where that even occurs to them? You know, a lot of people, I think, are so conditioned to be going into a meeting, worrying about all the details of the agenda, and they, they, it wouldn't occur to them, like, oh, maybe I should take a couple of deep breaths. Yeah. You know what? Spend even an hour just listening to your inner self-talk, you know, or notice the words that you're saying. Um, one thing that I was recently challenged to do by my coach was just push record on my next phone call and then listen back and listen to my internal, like what I'm saying, what I'm saying in the conversation. And if you just start noticing, like, what are, how am I thinking and what am I speaking? I, I almost guarantee that a large majority of it is probably beating yourself up, probably coming from a place of what I call the saboteur mindset, like the sabotage. And it's not serving you. And I think just the awareness, even before taking the breath, like the awareness of, of how am I being? Um, you know, am I constantly telling the story of I'm stressed out or I'm anxious or I'm tired or I'm, I'm feeling sad? You know, if, if, if this is like sort of a common story or thought form that's playing out in your life, um, just to start noticing what is the story that I'm telling? You know, I, I recently heard from Nancy Hulla, we are the story we choose to tell ourselves. So are you telling a story in your mind and in the words you speak that are really moving you in the direction you want to be going? 
And if that's not the case, be honest with yourself and notice and to shift the story, right? By, by first getting present. And what is the story that I do want to tell? So that's, that's one way I, I recommend is to start noticing your, your inner and your outer talk, self-talk. Okay, just two things I wanted to comment on that. I just want to go back to the book again, um, just to say that, again, the five principles really help organize a lot of what you're talking about, a lot of what you're mentioning to me today, you know, starting with your inner dream, but then talking about explore the saboteur and then open your mind. So the first three principles are really about going back to that sort of healing process again, or that whatever the process would be to reconnect, whatever. And I, I think that's really important because that, that's, a, that's a piece of it that I think leads to the last two principles, which are live mindful, mindfully aware and the I am part. So I just wanted to sort of clarify that for, for listeners that that's in the book because I think it's very helpful. But I wanted to ask you, what regular practices or routines or habits do you have in place to, to help you? Or, or maybe what have you done so much that it, it has become automatic for you? Yeah, absolutely. Those are, that's a great question. <laughs> There's a bunch. I, like, um, I don't want to intimidate people when I say I, I carve out quite a bit of time in the morning for a, a formal practice. You know, I get up in the morning and um, after having a glass of water, the first thing I do is I, I sit, <laughs> you know, and I just, I just listen. I take, my, um, I take my focus to the breathing like I was talking about and then I take my focus often to the heart and I listen. And if I listen to my heart, it speaks. It, it just, it's a different energy than my mind. And then I'll write, so I'll journal whatever I'm hearing. I also have a, a few books that are constantly in rotation that I read, speaking of repetition, over and over again, every single day, an excerpt from it. And they, um, it just really helps me stay aligned in my thinking and my feeling. And then... Um, I also, because I trained in, in Hawaii, Hawaii and I do a lot of that work, I, I also, my saboteur is loud here and embarrassed because I've never shared this, but I also do a lot of hula dancing in the morning. And uh, just notice, like this is a practice right here that I do. You notice your saboteur, that loud voice or feeling that comes up that tells you, you know, you're going to get laughed at or, you know, this is weird, you should, right? <laughs> That's the saboteur. So you know, I noticed that, but I do some hula in the morning and some chants from Hawaii. And then I move through the day. And as I'm going through the day, I like to voice the saboteur when it comes up. So I find when I get to places that are uncomfortable or edgy, um, I go, oh, that's my saboteur. And you can tell. And the saboteur is that party that's trying to protect you. So I just, oh, that's my saboteur. I actually went so far as to draw a picture of what my saboteur looks like in my head. It's that loud voice from grade seven. It, it never has left. It actually gets louder the closer I get to my life purpose. It's like, are you sure you want to take the risk? My, my saboteur looks like a stick character, <laughs> that uh, this little stick character that's always pointing at me like, you shouldn't have said that. You should do that. You're going to fail. Be careful. There's not enough time. It's constantly going. So I, I found just knowing that voice and distinguishing that and then coming back to the moment and checking in with that intuitive place, very powerful practice. Um, and oh, in the car, this is a, a really important one. I, I try to avoid having the news going every hour. When we talk about repetition, you know, 
the same news stories repeating over and over, that's just going to marinate in ourselves and it's going to cause us to be in more of an anxious state. So a, a practice I have is to put on um, audio that, that inspires me. You know, I listen, I still listen a lot to, to Dr. Wayne Dyer's recordings and Louise Hay and there's so many. There's just there's so many great authors and speakers that have so much positive news to share. And although they tried to open apparently a positive news station and it failed miserably, no one listened. I, I'm an advocate for positive news. So I'm I just create my own positive news in the car. Just put on a good audiobook and something that's gonna lift my spirits. So and I listen to music and I dance. Like I said, I hula a lot. Those are some ideas. <laughs> I love that. I might look into hula dancing myself. Maybe, maybe you've inspired a few of us. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Well, hula is just great. On a side note, hula is great because it connects. You have to connect your mind, your body, and your spirit when you're doing it. If, you, if they are not aligned, you're going to be flip-flopping all over the place. So it's an amazing practice. <laughs> yep. When I was young, yoga was this strange thing that some people did. And now all my kids do yoga and it's, you know, this new thing. So you never know. Wow. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is great. I feel like I could keep chatting with you. I have so many more things I could ask you about. Maybe we'll stay connected afterwards. Um, I love that. But I taken a lot of your time and we appreciate that. And I want to give you a chance before we wrap things up to just share about anything you're working on now or any updates after any, after you finally wrote the book, which I know that was a dream for quite a while for you as well. Just sort of toss it back to you to update us. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, um, yeah, the book did take quite a while to write. It was a handwritten book at first. So it took me five years to, to, I feel like I channeled it. It just came through. So the book has been, you know, one of the main things I, I do a lot of talks and um, sessions around the principles in the book Um, because we've gone so digital these days. I've got a lot of offerings at my website where um, I have a podcast as well. So we'll have to podcast swap. Um, I have a podcast called Let's Connect where I speak with people that are just really inspiring me in my life. And we have conversations every week. Um, I also have an online course that I've put together that coincides with the book. So uh, the course is, it's over six hours of practice where it leads you through practices specifically for each of the the five principles in the book. Um, And then there's a guided piece. I also quarterly run mastermind sessions um, where we, we go through the course together live and, and check in every week with each other over seven weeks. So that's also something that I do. I, I send out a positive quote every morning on, uh, by email, and that's available at my site. Um, I also love to offer coaching sessions, both uh, you know, privately and to companies and mindfulness sessions as well, and leadership circle, as I mentioned. Um, yeah, those are some of the offerings. I also have an online yoga offering at the site that just I just started so I know people really need to and are craving to to stretch and move their bodies these days as we're all cramped up at home so I have a number of uh, yoga practices that I lead as well uh, online too so lots of different pieces some free meditations (laughs) lots of things everybody's looking for those is that is your site just um keithmcpherson.com keithmcpherson.ca actually like Canada. So that's the distinction there. Yeah. 
Great. So that's good. So people will know how to, how to find you. Absolutely. I really, I do trust that whoever's listening to this, this is Ikaponomea. We're supposed to connect and everything is happening perfectly on time when we're paying attention. I think we'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you so much again.